Welcome back, everybody, to the All Access USL podcast. We are back for episode 22 now, and that's two episodes this week. We're back on track. Uh, I know I said I was feeling like it could come out on Wednesday, but it's definitely not. This is coming out Friday night. So this is going to be how it is for right now. Episodes will come out when they come out. Uh, but like I said in the last episode, I'm excited to um, have that. Uh, what you call it? I couldn't even find the word for it last episode. Just that willingness to record again. Um, and we've had a lot of transfers happen this week as well. And we'll have two more season reviews in today's episode two um depending on how many like like this week since the last episode we've had a good amount of moves good amount of signings i'll probably do a big re-signing episode as well where we go through most of the players who have been re-signed to teams but uh that will probably come maybe after christmas or around the new year when we start to see squads fill out like, a lot of teams right now are only at, like, 11 to 12 listed players. So, we're kind of just waiting for teams to move players and then sign the remaining players who are out of contract, but they're still interested in signing. So, kind of waiting for that to happen. It is starting to happen. We're starting to see a lot of big players re-signed. Like, just today, Jordan Farr was, has re-signed with San Antonio. He was by far and away one of the best, if not the best, goalkeeper in the league this past season. So to see him get that uh, re-signing with the best team who won the USL Cup is great to see. So yeah, the big players are re-signing right now. Uh, we'll probably see more squad filling out um, though as the weeks go by. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I need to put out there to begin with. I don't think so. Um, probably soon as well, we'll start seeing preseason schedules come out a little bit like maybe around the new year uh i know monterey bay are or have a friendly schedule with uh the san jose earthquakes i'm not sure if that's quite open to the public yet if it is that'd be a very interesting game to go see how they compare monterey bay who at times looked like a good side and a capable team against one of the i'm gonna say worst mls teams last season uh, defensively just aren't there. I mean, they have a new manager this year, but I don't, I think it's Luchi Gonzalez. I don't watch MLS, honestly, as much as I watch USL. I watched USL religiously for most of the season. Uh, MLS, uh, while I do support a team in MLS and not, uh, USL, like I watched tons of USL games. I only watched my MLS team play for the most part. So yeah. Um, I'm trying to think, though. I think that's it friendly-wise right now. But it'll be interesting to see because uh, a lot of USL continues to push forward season after season, and they can get competitive in these friendly games. So it'll be interesting to see who they can get friendlies against and how they fare in those friendlies. So we're going to start today's episode um, on the back end of just the little uh, announcements of Getting into the transfers, and then we'll get into the season reviews. Uh, Transfer-wise, two transfers who... Uh, I'm going to talk about them. I'm going to shout them out. I do not know much about these players because I haven't seen them play before. Uh, Gustavo Rissi from Rochester in 
MLS Next Pro heads to Indy 11, most likely a backup option. I don't believe he, I think he played only like three or so games with Rochester. Uh, he's 24 years old, Brazilian. I believe he can play mostly over along the back line. So a good depth piece option, versatile, but don't know much about him, to be honest. Not much out there about him. And then Jared Timmer of formerly of the Indy 11 and of Reno heads to Sacramento Republic. Is he a starter? I'm not sure. Um, when you have these types of deals coming along of, I, I, can't, I don't believe he played for Indy much when he was with them last as well. So these type of deals makes me think depth, depth pieces, like just good cheap depth pieces, but we'll see. Could break into a first team role, could be a starter from day one. Who knows? So wanted to talk about those two a little bit because they do deserve their time. You know, new transfers to teams in the league. Always got to talk about it. Always got to talk about transfers in general, but don't know much about them. Just wanted to say that they are there. But we have, I believe, four, five, five big moves or yeah, five big moves that have happened this week. And we're going to start with uh, Napo Metsozo leaves Louisville for Oakland. He only made two appearances with Louisville in the 2022 season. So he's looking to get back into form with Oakland. And I do think he's a starter with Oakland. Uh, I think Oakland will lose Fuenmayor this year. I believe he was only on a one-year loan. So that would be big. And I think that's where he can slot in uh, into that role. How he fares after only two appearances, I'm not too sure. Uh, the West is a completely different beast than the East. And I want to put this in a way that's not like demeaning because each conference has their own like nuances and difficulties and stuff like that. But the West seems more, I don't, I don't even know how to put it really. I'll come back to, it. I'm trying to think of how to put it correctly. Um, I don't know. It seems like. The defending in the West is a bit more lackluster, and the attacking in the East is a bit more like like it feels like you see to me. It seems like you see teams concede a lot in the West, but you don't see teams concede that much in the East. But you do see teams in the East score a lot. Like again, like I guess how I'm trying to put it is. Teams in the West don't score. I don't know. I'm, what I'm about. What I'm trying to say is pretty dumb because I can't get it out correctly. But it seems like the defensive capabilities of Western Conference teams, especially towards the bottom of the table, like Oakland, at points is pretty bad. In the East, it's definitely there as well, but not so often as it is with Western Conference teams. That's what I'm trying to go for. And I think Napa Matsoso will be able to help that out a lot. And maybe even push Oakland into a team that they haven't been yet. And that is a team who is more than just lingering on the edge of the playoffs. Like around that 7th and 8th spot. Which I think would be fantastic. Especially if they're able to bring Carlson back on another loan or even on a permanent deal. It would be so much fun to see Oakland push up that, like into that 3rd or 4th spot. Because they're more than capable of it if they can make the right moves and have the right coach for this year. But it's just how things pan out. Like, 
seeing them, we've seen them be an awful team at the uh, in 2021. They started the season awful. Then we started to see them turn into a like great team, but that only led them being to a fringe playoff team. And then this year, they were pretty average for most of the season, I'd have to say. So to see them play a whole season at a top level uh, is something I really want to see in 2023. But they need the right moves and they need the right tactics from the coach to do that. But I think Napo Metsoso is a move in the right direction for sure. So yeah, Napo Metsoso from Louisville to Oakland. Uh, we also have Emilio Icaza from RGV to Charleston. And I like this move. Not, I would say for the reasons that other people like Charleston need defensive midfielders and defenders this year too many times has it like they were like Augie Williams, a Napodaka, that whole front line is able to score at will. It's, it was so fluid up there, but the defensive side, they gave Joe Kuzminski absolutely no help. And he's a decent USL goalkeeper. It was just nothing back there. So I think Ikaza is a great move to somehow push further, like push forward that front line into scoring even more. Because he was pretty productive in an RGV team that was, for the most part this year, not that good. Five goals, four assists, and 34 appearances. Um, he might be forced to play both sides of the ball, and I think that's kind of what Charleston get themselves into, is they have so many attacking players and attacking midfielders that they kind of just forget about the defensive side of midfield, and they have these attacking midfielders trying to play um, defensive midfield, and they just get absolutely slammed. Like, they'll score three, but they'll concede four. Or, you know, they'll score four, concede five. Or, you know, they'll have a good first half, they'll score two, and then they just get dunked on and concede five in the second half because they have attacking midfielders who are gassed trying to play offense and defense now. So, I like the move. I like the move. I need to see more, though. If I don't see more, I'm going to predict them to have just as bad a season as they did this year. Uh, ben Porman. Uh, it was, yeah, Ben Porman. Uh, seems like a good hire as well, but I don't know. I don't know. They need more defensively before I say that they're going to be a good team. Cause I think I said last year that they were going to be a good team. And I even voiced the concerns I had with them, um, on that defensive side of the ball. Uh, but I still said, you know, they'll be good. Their attacking will outweigh their bad defending. And, well, I was right about the good attacking. I was not right about it outweighing the bad defending. So Emilio Icaza from RGV to Charleston, definitely a player to watch this season. Next up, Zachary Erivo from Birmingham to Tampa Bay. Now for Erivo, I liked his move to Birmingham. I thought it would be a good um, blossom for his career. He's, I believe, still only 26, already has 110 appearances has yet to make his mark at any team he's gone to. He made 30 appearances. He was a good, like, breaker in midfield almost. He only had one goal, but in terms of, like, maybe a just a straight-up central midfielder, CDM, who's just there to uh, make tackles, 
breakup counters, stuff like that. He is that guy, but I think he provides more than that. I think he can also be a progressive midfielder because he does like to get forward. He's only got six goals and three assists and 110 appearances, though. So if he wants to make those strides forward and be a progressive midfielder, he's going to have to produce more or else he's going to be stuck in a CDM role. And I'm not sure if that's where he would actually like to be. Because if you get forward, you tend to, you know, where you are on the pitch usually tends to be, you know, or like I guess I said, where you move around on the pitch too, usually tends to be where you'd like to be. That was so terribly put, but he likes to get forward. So I think he wants to be more than a defensive midfielder. That was a good way to put it. Um, I'm trying to think what he has to do to improve his game. I mean, just has to be more open, I guess, to just being a defensive midfielder because he's very good at that. Um, and I think, I don't think I said this here. Birmingham to Tampa Bay for Zachary Arivo. Um, they, Tampa Bay have Sebastian Dahlgaard. They have a good midfield already. Uh, Dahlgaard obviously plays CDM for them most parts now. So have to see how it goes. He might even be a backup CDM, but I think Arivo will just further strengthen Tampa Bay if Tampa do play Arivo in that CDM role. And talking about another CDM center mid type player, we have uh, Drew Skundrick, who played with DC United. So you have an MLS to Colorado Springs switchbacks move. Um, and we're going to talk about DC United a little bit because Drew Skundrick is not MLS quality. I think that's fair to say. He is, I think, lingering in between that MLS quality and USL Championship quality. If there was a league between the two, he could play there. So I think he will be a very good addition for the switchbacks. 19 appearances, one assist, in a very bad DC United role. Uh, this is a DC United team that got stomped on week in, week out. I mean, there was nothing to like about the way they played. Drew Skundrick wasn't even really a bright spot in this team. He just played to play because, you know, they were switching it out every week because everyone was playing horrible. But I think Skundrick will be able to find a home and a place to shine in Colorado Springs. He is a facilitator at heart in midfield. And he does the dirty work as well. You know, breaking those tackles, um, you know, uh, breaking up the counters, stuff like that. He's a, I put sneak, sneaky pick for early season underrated player in 2023. Because I think he's going to have that almost like, yeah, he played in MLS, but he was bad. And they're going to be like, people are going to be like, that translates to bad in MLS, probably bad in USL Championship. I think he's very capable of being a good player for Colorado Springs in a midfield that is already pretty stacked and a front line that if they replace Haji Berry correctly will be stacked as well. So I think Skundrick and some switchbacks have a lot to look forward to in 2023. And then our last big transfer of the week is Yannick Udall from Hartford to Indy. And I talked about uh, Udall with in the last episode, because I was like Hartford, uh, during the Hartford uh, season review, because I was like, Udall and Slayton were decent, and I think Udall will, you know, if he stays here, I th- no, I think I picked Slayton to be the number one, Udall to be the backup, but now Udall is going to be a 100% backup to Sean Lewis. Sean Lewis is a top-tier uh, USL Championship goalkeeper, but Udall, I like this move for India. He's capable, a capable backup, and that's what they need. 19 appearances, 30 goals against, not horrific, but not great. 
Four clean sheets is decent. He is a commander in the box, a sweeper keeper when needed. Decent option. He has the distribution as well. Uh, but again, Sean Lewis is better than him. So like the move for Indy. And I like the move for Hartford because it seems like with this move, they're opening the door for Parfait Mandanda to come back. And I think he is, he would be one of the best goalkeepers should he come back as well. He was one of the best in 2020 when Hartford were a good side for once. So I think if Mandanda comes back, uh, he would shoot the team up dramatically in the standings. So that covers the transfers for this week. And we are going to take a quick little break and come back with two season reviews. All right, and we are back for our two season reviews for today's episode. And I've been trying to kind of find a way of, like, maybe an order of how I want to do season reviews for teams, but I think it's more fun to just pick random teams, like, not going from worst to best or best to worst or stuff like that. I think it's fun to just pick at random like take Hartford for the last episode there's two today today we are going through FC Tulsa and Orange County F or SC uh Orange County did finish bottom in the west they were pretty bad and FC Tulsa finished eighth in the east but we're gonna go for Orange County first uh Orange County finished 7 14 and 13 that's seven wins only two away from home, 14 losses, 13 draws for 34 points, uh, which is good enough for bottom in the West. Their golden boot was Milan Alaski, though, with 22 goals. He was an absolute standout this season. If he was able to have any sort of help in any other part of the field, this team would have been incredible. But unfortunately, it was just Milan Olowski and a couple moments of brilliance from other players on the team that made this season even somewhat enjoyable with seven wins. Uh, because there were definitely times when it looked like Orange County could finish with under 20 points. They didn't. They hit 34. Uh, and that's largely in thanks to Milan Olowski and his 22 goals. Uh, and another incredible stat is that Milan Olowski took 88 shots on target this year, which means that for every one sh or for every four shots that Olowski took, one went in, which is an incredible stat and just shows how important he is on that offensive and finishing side of the ball. If they do not build around him up front this season for this upcoming season, then they are doing something wrong. Like, yes, he is not a striker, and they need a finishing striker as well to take the burden off him, but they need to build around him, and they didn't do that this year. I think they were trying to build around Kubo Torres, and he did score nine goals, but it it didn't work out because they were not building around the right piece, and if they do that next year, I think they do a lot better. So he was their golden boot winner. Uh, assist Seth Kasipli with five. They just need to do better uh, assist-wise, like distribution-wise in general. Having Seth Kasipli as your top assister when you have good mid-pieces is not good. But I also think they need to try and find some better options in midfield. Because their midfield is quite old. 
it's like a big stark contrast. They have like established players who are aging, like Tony Roca, Seth Kasipley, Kevin Partida. And then they also have players on loan who are like super young and need that experience, like Ian Hoffman, who they got from the Houston Dynamo and stuff like that. So they need a good mix of like mid 20s players who are also have that USL experience or get like a Drew Skundrick type player that the switchbacks are able to get. They need that kind of stuff uh, because they need their progressive midfielders and stuff like that and wingers to be getting more than five assists. The fact that Seth Kasipli, a holding midfielder, is their top assister with five and not any of their wingers is pretty incredible. So definitely somewhere to work for Orange County. Clean sheets, of course, it was Patrick Rakowski, but he only had two on the season. So it just shows that conceding goals-wise, Orange County were up there for the most part. Um, they lost the majority of their aerial and ground duels, and that doesn't help them defensively, and that is what helps them get countered as well, which is something that they suffered from for pretty much the whole season, is counterattacks and just poor defending. Also, poor defensive signings. I mean, usually poor defending is a effect of poor defensive signings, and there's one defender in general who I'm going to call out who is excessively not great this year. And I think he has an, he obviously has an opportunity to grow. It's, it was Ahmed Longmere from Nashville. His first game, I believe it was, his first game on London Orange County, he got sent off and gave away a pen. Just not a great way to start. And then he, and he was pretty mediocre after that. And he has every opportunity because he is a Nashville player through and through. You know, domestic, got in from the Super Draft. He would he fits Nashville perfectly. So who's to say that he doesn't go back to Nashville and is incredible for them in MLS? I would almost bet that he will be. But not cut out for the USL Championship or how Orange County play. And I think that Orange County just going for this thing of let's get these good, like supposedly good M- youngsters because they're coming from MLS teams and bring them in and they'll make us better, obviously. And then they just did. They did not make them better at all. So they need uh, good young talent, actually, like a Kobe Henry. If they can get that coming back up through their youth academy, that'd be great because he was decent for them. And then they also sold him for a profit. And they need to be able to do that so that they can keep replenishing the squad with actual good players. But, you know, they did get that money from Kobe Henry, and then they didn't reinvest it properly. So... Not a great season for Orange County in the slightest. Uh, just some notes. I already said most of this stuff. They do need to build around Milanoloski and take that goal scoring burden off of him. Kubo was the closest behind it with nine goals. So it's a big drop off from 22 to nine goals. And Kubo was supposed to be like a big upgrade at striker. And he just wasn't. So if they're able to gel up front and they're able to find distributors to both players and if Kubo is just able to pick up form then I think next year will be a great year for them but we need to see how they fare uh transfer wise and I think in general they need to overhaul their defense like I said with quality USL proven center backs or solid homegrown talents like I said with Kobe Henry and they need more output from progressive midfielders and wingers uh, and I said they need to make moves for younger options because majority of their midfielders Uh, are over 27 years old and their younger ones are only on loan and just not experienced enough to be influential in 
um, making or in providing anything meaningful to their play, really. So I think next season will be an interesting one for Orange County, to say the least. They drop off massively after a championship-winning year in 2021 to bottom of the West in 2022. And they will be staying around at Championship Soccer Stadium for 2023. That is fantastic to see. Uh, that also allows them to just continue as a soccer operation and a soccer club in general. So very, very, very fantastic. I'm excited to see what they do. I don't think if I, I don't think Orange County necessarily finish bottom next year again. Uh, I don't think they'll make the playoffs next year based off of what they're doing right now and just how they played this year. If I were to make a Early prediction right now. That's what I'll do. I'll make like a super duper early prediction right now of where they will finish. And then I'll do an actual prediction once like there's two weeks left of the season. So right now, I think Orange County, they'll learn from their mistakes. But I would put them at around 10th in the West right now. Because so I think they'll learn. They'll know how to play better. Um, and I think heading into this transfer window, I'm also taking into consideration heading into this transfer window, they know what they want to do. I think Orange County will improve, but not by much. Uh, so, yeah, see how they do for next season. And we also have up next FC Tulsa, which, to be fair, not a bad year. They didn't make the playoffs this year after making the playoffs last year. They went 12-16-6 for 42 points and 8th in the East. Their top goal scorer was Dario Suarez and Rodrigo da Costa with 9 goals each. So, on the goal scoring side... Not fantastic output. You definitely want more, especially from players as good as Dario Suarez and Rodrigo da Costa. Um, so maybe we see some moves up top for them. Not too sure. Their top assister was also Dario Suarez with five assists. So 14 goal contributions from Dario Suarez. Not too shabby. Uh, he was good. I think this story was of their season was mainly like decent, but just not good enough. These are decent numbers, but just not good enough numbers. They were decent, but they were not good enough, even remotely close, to make the playoffs. They were 12 points off of Detroit in 7th. So I think if they can just bridge that gap from being decent to good, then they'll have more of a shot. And I think they'll be able to do it. I think we're going to see a bit of a shift in how good FC Tulsa are and how good Detroit are. Uh, but we'll talk about that more when we get to Detroit. Uh, but I think FC Tulsa will be able to make some improvements. And you'll see in my prediction where I think, uh, in a bit, where I think they'll finish. Clean sheets, Austin Wormel with five. He came mostly into play after Sean Lewis left. And I like Wormel uh, as well, to be honest. I f I'm trying to... They're both... Tulsa somehow are just really good at producing... USL championship level, like fantastic goalkeepers. They've done it right now with Wormel. I like Wormel. Sean Lewis is better than Wormel, but two great options in goal. And they traded Sean Lewis for some good pieces. So I think Tulsa were smart there. Uh, but even with Wormel being a good goalkeeper, 58 goals conceded on the season is a big cause for concern. Might need some more defensive moves, but pieces already there. I honestly like, I think they can be improved upon with some improved defensive tactics and just, you know, well, I was going to say knowing what they want to do back there, but that is improved defensive tactics. But, you know, just tightening up a little bit. 48 goals scored, though. I don't think there's really cause for concern to keep that up. Tulsa are a good scoring team. Like, these mid-tier mid, mid 
or yeah, mid table sides in East in the East and the West are pretty prolific at scoring. It's pretty incredible. Like how good they are scoring, but it's just the defensive side that shoots them in the foot every time. So yeah, I think a couple pieces and they can up that to like 60 goals and they can just move that, move the goals conceded even down to 50. They're looking at a playoff run next season. Uh, overall on the cusp of a playoff spot, despite being 12 points behind Detroit, uh, a couple depth depth moves could see them push harder in 2023. So with that, my prediction for Tulsa next year is to finish sixth in the East. I think that's a fair place to put them. Um, Because I think knowing what they want to do, I think they already have a good foundation. And I think other teams don't really have great foundations for next year. We'll get to them when we get to them. I think Tulsa, though, I think they are poised for a playoff return next year. Uh, And I'm excited for them because it's fun to see Tulsa in the playoffs. With that, that wraps up today's episode. We'll be back with most likely three reviews, season reviews in the next episode because over the weekend, not expecting many transfers to happen. So be uh, ready for three reviews in the next episode. So yeah, I will see you guys for that episode soon.